so your your primary fear of the show, you were telling me, um, you know, we, we usually talk a couple minutes before we start recording just to uh, warm up the pipes, as you would say. Um, and you, you were afraid that there's too much news. Well, like last week or during our last, uh, I think you called it a two-part epic. The, the epic two-part <laughs> the, the two show, yes. Uh, which, let's, let's uh, just uh, bring down, like, was it the fourth wall? Uh, for people at home, that just means... <laughs> yeah. uh, one of us was uh, going to be on vacation or was going to be out of the area, so we were going to stretch out a week that had no news so that I, we didn't get out yeah. of them. I was, I was relatively impressed by how it came out. Well, right. It wasn't a complete disaster. Nice. Um, so, yeah, this I mean, a lot of stuff happened this week. But a lot of stuff. We're going to try to not make this a kind of a rundown thing, and we're just going to have some fun with it. Okay. So... Do you want to do uh, Apple? Do you want to do Uber, Amazon? What What do you think? I kind I kind of want to just get the Uber stuff out of the way. All oh, right, I'm excited now. Okay. So, I, I I made an honest effort this week. So I was going through the last couple of weeks of news, and I was like, okay, you know what? We've done a lot of Uber. You know, I, I you know me, I love Uber, but I have to kind of put that aside when we're doing the show. And I really, really wanted to have a week where we you know didn't have to talk about Uber, but no joke, you know, Engadget, Ars Technica, TechCrunch, The Verge, almost every site you went to, it felt like every fifth story over the last 14-odd days had been about Uber. And that's it, really not an exaggeration. Not at all. And, of course, because it's Uber, America's uh, premier ride-sharing partner. Or, wait, no, they don't call it ride-sharing. It's, it's your private driver. It's, it's your private driver. Yes. Um, it was all incredibly positive news. They actually, this is this is a bit of an aside about Uber, but they they have an interesting philosophy that I didn't really know much about until relatively recently. Where one of their core principles, or one of their kind of guiding, I don't know what you call this, like one of the one of the reasons they think they're around is because they want to make a service so that nobody needs to own their own car. Which I it, it's kind of a I don't know that that's an odd I think that's an odd goal. Where did you hear that stated? Because I could assume a company, I can like reasonably see how a company like Zipcar or somebody like that could say so, but. Both, both their CFO and CEO have come out and have made direct quotes about that. Yeah. Was it David Pluff? Is the, who's that? Oh, so that was another big piece of news. Um, David Pluff, who ran the Obama <clears throat> 2008 and 2012. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that yeah, was yeah. huge. That was before all the negative news came out. Um, so he's he's not doing great, but he was supposed to lead uh, Uber through kind of the regulatory hurdles that they're going to face in California and a lot of other states uh, with regards to ride sharing and kind of on-demand transportation applications. So he's part of uh, Team Uber now, and who knows, maybe because is he he's from Illinois, right? Uh, well, I know during um, the I know during the second the, the during the re-election campaign, he worked out of Illinois. I don't I don't know if that's where he's from, but. I know he he stayed in Illinois. Well, I mean, uh, Illinois is kind of a, a ground zero for uh, corruption. Chicago mainly. <laughs> so so he he's he's a, an excellent hire. Let's let's be clear that you you said that and not me. Uh, Blagojevich, who else? Like I think it was like wasn't it like six out of the last like Chicago mayors are in jail for like corruption or something? I swear <laughs> to God, it is. You you uh, can look like it up. again. That, that's that's all you. Again, I I will edit Wikipedia so that that's true. 
Um, but yeah, so, so they brought him on board to help with the regulatory hurdles. But I think his job probably got a lot more difficult. Because um, last week, did, or the last time we did this, did we already talk about that CNN Money article where there were allegations that Uber had canceled, I think it was like 5,800 rides with Lyft to kind of um, reduce the availability in new cities for them? So we, we did talk about that, but the, the story has evolved some since then. Yes. So un- unfortunately for me, my primary response to when you brought that up a couple of weeks ago was I, I was skeptical of the whole practice. I just It just didn't really seem like something Uber would do. And <laughs> come on, come on, come on, work with me here. And it, and it did, I don't know, there, there wasn't really a whole lot of actual fact behind what Lyft was asserting. Um, unfortunately, since then, it, it has come out. Well, not of course not officially, but The Verge did a you know fantastic article. You I mean you know me during the uh, the private beta period, as you say. Um, I, I I'm not a big fan of The Verge sometimes, but they did an absolutely fantastic piece this week where they pretty extensively revealed the kind of I don't even know what to call this. Not undercover, but sort of. So it's called Operation Slog. And yeah, it's kind that, of um... that, yeah. Covert wouldn't be the right name, but That's it's what, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what. It but basically, is, but... in in uh, in new cities and markets where Lyft is trying is trying to get a um, kind of a foothold in the marketplace, because Uber is the more established player, and I think they're active in what like forty cities now. Does that sound? Ooh, in the I think it's you're talking about Lyft or Uber. Uber. I think, ooh, I think it's more than that. Okay, so but in new cities where they're trying to trying to gain traction. Uh, Uber would get kind of like foot soldiers and recruiters and stuff who would try to lure people away from driving for Lyft, kind of say, how do you like the company? Uh, Do you know you could allegedly make more money and all this kind of stuff? So they would place a lot of rides with those people to try to lure them away, but also would just uh, request and cancel an astonishing number of rides to reduce availability as well. So it's, it's 45 countries. But again, how so many actual a cities? Lot. A lot. Like, <laughs> okay. like hundreds. Yeah. So what's so as a, a big fan of them, what is your opinion of this? Because it looks like it's actually pretty true. And the part that concerns me is that like back when they were doing their like um their rounds with the press uh for David Pluff's hiring, uh they were asked on multiple occasions about the CNN money story, and they flat out said that they do not condone or operate any type of campaign against other ride-sharing services, which appears to be pretty darn untrue. Well, okay, so now now their response is they I don't there hasn't been a direct um, denial that this program exists. So to me, that's basically admitting it does, which. Again, the Verge article was was so extensive that it would be pretty difficult to argue that it's not. I mean, they had screenshots, the, the whole thing. And I would clarify just that this seems to, and again, it's not just like a one-off thing or just like a couple of overly aggressive uh, recruiting managers in certain cities. It looks extremely organized and that the right. company was willing to throw a ton of money at supporting efforts like this, which I think makes it worse. I, I agree. Um but the, the part that they are still denying is that a condoned part of the practice was the active 
um, campaign to cancel a bunch of rides. So that that's that's what Uber is still denying. Um, however, the part that it, it does seem that they're admitting to is the part where they were through private contractors hiring people to essentially try to poach drivers away from Lyft. So these would be Uber drivers, particularly in cities where Lyft was doing well, where they would request a bunch of Lyft rides and they would, over the course of the you know 10 or 15 minutes, whatever the ride duration was, try to convince the Lyft driver to switch over to Uber. Uh, which, you know, I, I can't remember where I read this today or yesterday, but somebody had made the analogy that this would be as if somebody came into, you know, your employer, you know, picture that you're just sort of like in a regular corporate office, took a fold out chair, plopped it right next to one of your employees and just started trying to recruit them away. And I, uh, you know, it's obviously a bit of a extreme scenario, but it, you know, it, I think, I think it kind of fits and it's, you know, it most definitely does not not great we'll say so would you chalk this up to this healthy competition or do you think this is kind of repulsive this is kind of repulsive and uh, you know you know me and as we've established on the five episodes we've had so far i i'm, I'm uber's number one fanboy um this is not this is not good um so i'm gonna ask would this so I am not somebody who takes a lot of Uber rides because I have my own car. But would like the next time I need it, I honestly think I would download the Lyft application and I would be much more inclined to use them instead. Just because this seems like because while Uber is a great service and it's really difficult to separate the people like this is kind of the case that people have against Walmart and a lot of other companies. And I know you're going to present that comparison, but while the management or business practices might not be the best, you would say that it provides the best service or the best cost for something. So are you going to like stand on principle and say that I disagree with the way that they're running this kind of thing and this looks like a shady company? Therefore, you where you spend your money is going to change? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm so I've been thinking a lot about this and – I, How I shady do they have to get for you to well, want to change? I kind of figured you'd ask me something like this. and <laughs> You're a smart guy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, I, I, this is kind of, I don't know. This is kind of a crummy answer, but I, I believe in it, so I'm going to run with it. I, I kind of just make the assumption that all companies are evil to one extent or another. I, I, I don't believe I really, that at all. Uh, I really don't believe that there, especially when you talk about... You think Panera Bread's evil. How are they evil? <laughs> I'm trying to think uh, of the most innocuous company in the world. I can't I can't say that I've thought a lot about Panera, but I, I guess I'm thinking more about the companies that you and I you know, spend some of our time thinking about. A lot of the tech slash social media companies How is Dropbox that we deal evil? with today. Um... I would I wouldn't say I guess the, the the example that comes to mind for me is a company like Facebook where mm. I think a lot I think a lot of the opt out stuff they've done where they've rolled out new features and services where you've had to opt out I think that's awful and I think that's repulsive and terrible nope, and not at all shouldn't be condoned no, but it should be absolutely condoned again what's more repulsive is anti-competitive behavior that hurts the marketplace 
like greasing the wheels with people's privacy when you give them ways to opt out, I think is different. Well, because people hmm. people who use Facebook know that they're the customer and that they're I think they know that they're trading a free service for their information and the utility that they get from it. It's 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 difficult with Uber though because they're entering what is already a completely broken market where you have these ultra regulated taxi services that So we should let a very unregulated player disrupt and harm what is essentially a public service. Well, I see I don't I don't know I don't know if I agree with taxis being a public service. They are a somewhat important part of a city's infrastructure for transportation. They fill the gap between private automobiles and public transport. They do, but I think they've now illustrated what happens when you try to kind of over-regulate a, a service like that. So we should eliminate the FDA and just let people just do whatever they want. Again, there's a balance. And the thing is, Uber doesn't want a proper balance. Most of these ride-sharing services do. I don't want to pin it just on them. But people... Because it would be much more difficult to add new drivers to a service and to move as quickly as Uber does in a more regulated environment. And they're able to take advantage of a marketplace where people generally aren't satisfied with the services that taxis offer, yet the taxis and the old entrenched players have to work within the existing system. So I don't really think that's fair. So I Yeah, but you know what? I don't I guess I don't really see that as being Uber's fault or Uber's problem. So in a marketplace which is already in their favor because of that, they still have to try to fuck over their competitors in totally sketchy ways. Well, it's two different things. I I I think these kind of I'll use the kind of light phrase shady recruiting practices <laughs> Are, that's a different issue than the idea that Uber's coming in and not playing by the same rules that other services in the space do. Um, that the kind of kind of two separate things. I don't I don't I don't really want to like try to combine those two things because a company like Uber, Uber could come in and kind of point to the fact that taxi regulation is super outdated and is not as useful as it once was. It may, granted, it, it was useful in a time where a service like Uber didn't even have the technology to exist. But now that we do have this technology, it's highlighting the fact that those regulations are, are super out of date. You can have a service like that, which doesn't have the, again, well, I'll say shady recruiting practices that Uber does. And that's, you know, that's illustrated by the fact that there are services like Sidecar and Lyft and, I mean, 300 other ones now. Nobody uses Sidecar. I, well, I mean, I don't know. I it's it's so hard. Like, I feel like now that I live in San Francisco, I can't make any sort of like generalization or assumption about what the kind of broad public is using because it, it's just it's such a like I see a bunch of sidecars around, but I'm sure that it's like San Francisco, New York, and uh, I don't know, Phoenix, C Phoenix or something. Yeah, that uses sidecar. All right. So, wait, what, what other news was there for, for Uber? There was there was more than this. So, again, there's just this whole element of shadiness, which generally has, it seems to go hand in hand with kind of the narrative of kind of Uber's kind of back of house practices. Does, it, does that not make sense? 
like I know people get unnecessarily upset about the surge pricing stuff, but I would say coupled with kind of the predatory pricing accusations and a lot of that kind of just weirdness, it all kind of goes together. I, I'm certainly a lot more inclined to agree with you than I was two weeks ago. Also, n not to toot my own horn, but <laughs> oh, I. This makes me feel so much better than two weeks ago. Because before I was, I was operating mainly on like just gut feeling. Ah, oh, it feels good. All right. So, uh, did you see this article about uh, people complaining on Twitter about people getting into private automobiles because? Uh, hipster tech workers think that it's an uber i uh, yeah I, I did see this and i've had this thought before when you <laughs> when using uber because so one of the things that the uber app does really well is it shows you the license plate number of your driver and so when that is available it's you know it's pretty easy to not accidentally get into the wrong car but every once in a while you get a driver who i don't know why uber doesn't do a better job of like kind of monitoring this but they'll put in something some kind of junk in that field where they would normally put their license plate so you don't know what their license plate number is and so you're kind of left guessing just based on the car model which does still show up whether you're getting into the right car or not so i i could see that happening so anytime it says black prius you just get into some like uh just some random person's car yeah it's pretty good. So, what is uh, what percentage would you say of uh, of rides you take have that? Because you know how there's that little light up U that a lot of drivers will have on like the right side. Right. How many usually have that? Um, it, it's that number is growing. I'd say now it's maybe fifty fifty. Okay. Um, I mean there there are other signs too, like having the um the windshield mount with the phone, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, usually, but that's usually hard to tell, too. Tell. That could just be any random random dude. That's true. Yeah. Um, well, so this is this is kind of the inverse of uh, the last show, but can I also share some uh, positive Uber news? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so they, they brought out a, a new open API where they're allowing third-party apps to plug into the service. So the one that caught my attention was the United app which, you know, of course, you can manage your boarding passes with and make reservations with, etc. Uh, they now have a service where when you are ready to go to the airport or ready to be picked up from the airport, you can actually just access Uber uh, directly from the United app. And yeah, I was talking to a friend about this, and to me it seems kind of, I don't know, wasteful in a way, just because, like, why, why wouldn't I just go directly to the Uber app? But he made the good point that it, it's more about bringing in new users as opposed to, you know, people who already use the service, which I think is a pretty good point. It is, but hmm. do you think it'll really like, do you think at this point people haven't heard of it? Like people who are traveling semi-frequently who are actually using electronic boarding passes, do you think people haven't heard of it at this point? Well, again, living in San Francisco, I think, has um, clouded my perception of a lot of this stuff. I, I think within my circle of friends and within the people that I know in San Francisco, I think virtually everyone have, not only knows what Uber is, but like actively uses it. 
I don't have any good sense in other parts of the country what what that's like. It seemed I mean it seemed popular when I was in New York, I guess, but again, New York's not a, not a great example either. So I don't know. Okay. Um I think in the grand scheme of things though, I would venture to say that there are still a fair number of people who would enjoy Uber, but who just maybe don't know about it. So in that sense, this seems like a good idea. Yeah. And when the, uh, when the uh, unfair competition lawsuits come out, people will have heard of it. So <laughs> tied it all together. Uh, all right. I actually, you know what? I think, um, so I got an email from them. So you were talking about the regulation piece. Oh, the one um, where you're supposed to write your senator. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I'm starting, I just, I, you know, you, you talk about going with your gut. I'll go with mine here. I, I think that's their bigger problem in the short term. Because it does really seem like all it would take is one piece of legislation to get through that would basically just shut these guys down. Well, so let me, let me ask you, what, what do you think is the real future of that? Within the next two years, as a service like this becomes too impossible to ignore for regulators, and as the taxi like commission or whatever they're called, uh, gets more upset about this kind of thing. So I think I, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious from the statements that I've made just a couple of minutes ago. I think the answer is not to further regulate companies like Uber, but rather to deregulate the existing cab companies. Again, I think that twenty years ago when there were just a small, you know, handful of cab companies which had complete control of the market it made a lot of sense to put price restrictions into place. But now that we have the these other means of transportation and technology has enabled all these different... I mean, obviously, the idea of requesting a car from a small pocket computer 20 years ago would have just been something out of science fiction. And so now that we have that, it, it just doesn't make sense to continue to put these price restrictions on these traditional cab services. Because if they if they try to go nuts with their pricing, we now have Uber. And you know if if you brought the rate the restrictions off of cab companies, and they tried to raise their prices forty percent, you know people would just say, well screw you, I'm going to continue to use Uber and Lyft and all these other guys. Well, what if they raise them three hundred percent? Well, again, people would say screw you. But do people say screw you when that's Uber during surge pricing? So again, like if, if you remove, so like current taxi companies are limited on the amount that they can charge, right? That's completely regulated. They can't do demand responsive pricing, correct? That's correct. So you're saying that protection should be completely written out of law. See, again, I understand I th- the I think so. we enjoy no, this I... company and we think, and like you think about it from an economic perspective, the price of a good that's limited should reach an equilibrium of demand. No, I, I think so because I think that in your, you know, in your hypothetical scenario where we completely eliminate all all this price regulation. No, no, I'm was, saying that's what you're suggesting. Well, but but what you're saying would happen as a result of that would be there'd be this just wild out of control constant surge pricing. No, I'm not saying all, that. I'm saying in a like let's say another snowstorm or another situation where price and demand just go off the charts everything should be a three to nine times regular rate 
Mm. Again, is is the government not there to protect the consumer from price gouging? Who who legislates that? Mm. They are, but I just I guess I'm I'm of the opinion that if that were to happen and that that were to be a constant problem whenever there was either a big storm or I mean shoot even like a big event or something that another company would come along and say hey you know when but if there's a company that if there's a company that acts the way Uber does and will use their millions and millions of dollars to eliminate up and coming competitors what happens well I, I i do think so putting aside the regulation piece for a minute which i said i think is actually their biggest short-term problem if it is further corroborated that uber is doing all these different tactics um that's not going to go on forever eventually eventually somebody's going to come along and by somebody i mean you know whatever government agency is responsible for this is going to come along and say hey knock it off so and how quickly does that have to happen a lot of damage can be done in a couple of months well i mean it can to services that we know today but a couple of years from now or you know whenever uber becomes more popular and maybe if the some of the cab regulations go away there's always going to be the opportunity for somebody to come along and say hey you know those ridiculous surge prices that uber and all these other companies charge yeah, we're not going to charge them. And people will migrate towards that. But they won't because all Uber has to do is relax those – whatever they're being criticized for or their whatever their nearest competitor is really hammering them on, they'll gently relax that until that other company goes away and just go right back to it. Again, this has happened in so many other industries. It's why government regulation exists. And that's why this is weird because I think I'm the one of the more – I'm the more conservative person of, of the two of us and you – and man, you, you are all libertarian on this. Well, no, I, I really, I really, really don't mean to be. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess some of the, I'm speaking out of my ass on, on some of this stuff. I fully admit that. <laughs> and me too. Let's, um, let's, yeah. let's be clear. Yeah. I mean, despite the no fact that we're No qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> despite the fact that we're both political science majors, um, we don't have a whole lot to back us up here. Um, although, you know, ask us about net neutrality and we know everything. Given wrote that, the book like, on it, sixteen-page paper we've collectively wrote in college, it still um, holds up surprisingly well. It does. I was actually pleasantly surprised by that. Um, no, I just you know I I guess what I get really frustrated with is so norm normally as you say I am a little bit on the more I think liberal side of the political spectrum here in the U.S. But I get really annoyed by out-of-date legacy regulation which i think holds us back from innovation and i i hate to hold on to laws that made sense 25 years ago but given advances either in technology or just general science no longer make any sense and that that just that bugs me i I don't i don't like the idea of holding on to laws just to hold on to laws like i think a law always needs to have a justification to exist and if it doesn't anymore then i think you need to get rid of it i think sensible regular i'm all for sensible regulation like we're going real off the rails here but like the healthcare (laughs) stuff like that's clearly an industry that 
needed more regulation. And, you know, technology hasn't, technology or any other science hasn't made it so that less regulation makes sense with healthcare. Whereas with something like public transportation, I think it very clearly has. So what happens when people want to use the internet for on-demand healthcare? What happens when you don't visit your doctor in the local doctor's office? I mean, is, isn't that already happening? Don't... It is. And both this and Uber operate in a legal gray area where the existing players are upset that they don't have to follow the same rules. And they're just be, they're operating until they're told they can't. Again, it's difficult. I don't have an answer for it, but I just think it's something that th people need to think about. I agree. I think it's a I think it's a very uh interesting issue. And I think it is it is something that people who are far more educated and <laughs> more qualified than the two of us should be uh deciding. All right. Uh, do you, oh, okay. Do you want to do uh, Apple speculation? What do you want to I, do? I, I do. I, I, I really do. Okay. This, this was a, I think, huge two weeks of Apple news. And I think it's going to be an even bigger next, let's say, three to four weeks of Apple news. It's going to be madness. Yeah. So where, where, where do we even start? I think I, think I know where I want to start. Um, well, let's just okay. Let's just recap. So again, there's going to be a, an Apple event on September 9th, which is almost guaranteed to include a new iPhone, the iPhone 6, and that'll probably give us uh, a closer uh, final release date for iOS 8, and we'll find out when the new hardware is coming out for the iPhone. So that's what we actually know. But there've been a couple new updates where it looks like there's a decent chance from reliable sources that say some type of Apple wearable device will be also announced that day. And we have a lot of speculation from uh, some people who are in the know, like John Gruber, about what type of devices we might see, what the resolution might be, and a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, so okay. So the, 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 two, the two really interesting things, well, let's, we'll call them two and a half really interesting things that have come out. Um, so the, the, you should, we should say that this is all from Recode, which used to be all things D. They have a. Have they ever really been wrong about something that they've really come out and said, "Hey, this is happening"? Like, I really think they're pretty close to a hundred percent. They have a good stuff. track record. Yeah. So, so, the September 9th date is something that came out. We can pretty much carve that in stone. Although I did a look on the Loop Insight, and Jim Dalrymple has not done his traditional "yep" response. So, did he report on it? Like, did he mention it in passing he, and didn't he, say "yep"? He did not. So. Mm. I, I don't. I guess I don't put a whole lot into that, but I mean, something to throw out there. Um, anyway, so the, the the date seems pretty firm. Um, but okay, so the, the the two and a half things which I think are are interesting. The first is it basically seems like you know we speculated a, a couple of shows back about the whole screen size issue, and I think we were both pretty skeptical of there being this like five and a half inch iPhone. And it, it really seems like that's going to happen now. The Recode story and multiple other stories have come out and said, yeah, it's going to be 4.7 inch and 5.5 inch, which I just, I, I, I just can't, we, we've been talking a lot about this offline. Like I just, I can't figure out like what the narrative behind that is. Like Apple does such a great job during these presentations of coming out and saying, Hey, here's this new product or Hey, here are the all these new features of an existing product. 
this is why you need them and this is what differentiates these new features or this new product from things that we've done in the past. And I just don't know how you do that with having all these different screen sizes. Like presumably there's still going to be some four inch iPhone out there and then you're going to come out with these two other screen sizes. So like why would you get these bigger screen sizes over the four inch? And then like more specifically, why would you get the five and a half inch over the 4.7 inch? Um, and the, 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 the half story, which is related to this is there's also been a lot of speculation about there now being, and this is probably not going to happen in the September 9th event, probably in a October event, because that's what's happened the last couple of years with the iPads, that there's going to be this like 12.9 inch iPad Pro thing, which again, I just, I just don't know like what, what, what's the narrative behind that? Why, why as a consumer do I want the 12.9 inch version instead of the existing you know, what is it, 9.7 and 7.9 inch screens or whatever the current iPads are. Well, as slowing sales suggest, customers don't want either. Well, okay, so that I'll, let, let's hold off on the iPad stuff. I, I, I didn't, I don't really want to go in there quite yet. And I think that's, <laughs> that's still like a month and a half away at least. Um, but you know what I'm saying about the iPhone stuff? Like, I do. I'm so just, I, so yeah. let me take that. Okay. So Apple has generally been a company that kind of tells you what you want when you want it. And they will make a case, uh, especially when Steve Jobs was around, he would really kind of try to preemptively answer all the questions of why should this exist? Why did they make the design decisions? Because anytime Apple comes out with something, you could say, well, why was it, why doesn't it do this? Or why wasn't it bigger? Or why, why doesn't it have this feature? Apple will generally say, especially with the first iPhone, that it doesn't have a keyboard because this is how things are going to be going forward. It doesn't have an app store because we need to focus on refining the experience and getting people comfortable with this type of technology and ramping up supply and all that kind of stuff. So Apple's a company that's pretty good at saying no, or historically has been, and that might be changing. But they always have like a firm narrative about what this product will do for you and how it makes things better and how it fits into the grand scheme of things. And if the rumors are true, where there's going to suddenly be three sizes of um, three sizes of iPhones and allegedly three sizes of iPads, I think that means that the Apple we knew isn't the Apple going forward, and that we maybe have more of a Samsung-like Apple. In the sense that they're they're willing to just make whatever the customer wants, because I guarantee there are some people that want a five and a half inch iPhone. I don't think they're right. I don't think they can constitute the majority, and I don't think Apple should make products to appeal to them, but people would buy it, but is that the right thing to make? Do they need to diversify the product line so much to accommodate everybody? Yeah, so I you know the, the thing that we've been talking about um, is that the really the only thing I can think of in terms of like a narrative is saying, "Hey, we're coming out, we're giving customers more choice we're giving them different options which you know a doesn't it just isn't doesn't jive with what apple's done historically which kind of goes to what you were just saying and b i mean isn't isn't this just going to be a nightmare for developers i mean i guess there are things you can do with like scaling and you know, resolution sort of like doubling and things like that but it, it still it still seems like this is just going to be really complicated. Well, so a couple of things on that. So you remember when, so there were two big product revisions uh, in the iPhone lineup so far. 
Uh, there was the iPhone 4, which introduced the Retina display. And then there was the iPhone 5 that, inc- uh, that included a screen that was like a half inch, um, a half inch taller. And I think you'll remember how long it took for applications to get updated for both of these. And it was a similar time frame. Like most apps were updated within three months, but some took as long as a year. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And Apple has kind of made some headway with this. They've introduced like adaptive technologies where they've been telling people for about a year and a half to make your applications kind of resolution independent and to use kind of like autofill and like dynamic resizing. But most developers still don't use that because they haven't really seen what applications that would be used for in the future. And to make a really tight, polished application, that requires kind of being very like picky about how you make something look. So I think that's going to pose a problem if developers suddenly have to start caring about three different screen sizes, all probably with different resolution assets. Yeah, I... Oh, I mean, I, it's, oh, I don't even know where to start. So I, I think, to me, the 4.7-inch phone makes a lot of sense. I think you and I both agree on this, right, that 4.7 inches is a really great size. Yes, I think the Moto X was the best phone. Right, and actually, yeah, I, I last week when I was out, I was, I was on vacation with someone who had the Moto X and played around with it a little bit. And It feels amazing, doesn't it? It's fantastic. Software's the, terrible, but it feels amazing. <laughs> no, it does. I mean, it does. And actually, you know, the thing that I was amazed by it was I held it up right next to my iPhone 5S. It's not a lot bigger. No, it's it's the the device is not bigger. The screen is bigger. Exactly. Like the iPhone, like it's gotten better, but it's got a whole lot of bezel. Right. Yeah. Um. So I was really impressed by that, and I think it it further kind of cemented my belief that 4.7 is just a, a great size for a, a, a you know, smartphone screen. And do you, do you have any friends or have you ever met anybody who uses like a Galaxy Note? No, not a single one. And that that's that leads Have you ever to... seen one in person? No. I haven't. Is that screen size even fathomable to you? No. And that that's It's madness, right? I I mean so I'm 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 you know, I'm taking a deep breath and I'm I'm literally like I'm trying to put aside all of my kind of personal thoughts like out like your prejudices i I understand exactly so i i prefer a 4.7 screen but i'm putting that aside for a minute i i literally cannot think of a single application or a single use where having a 5.5 inch screen on a phone instead of a 4.7 inch screen makes the phone better and that's that's what i'm saying about like what i'm so curious about with the narrative that apple comes out with like when they come out and presumably say, here's the iPhone 6, and actually, you know, that's a side question is, are they both going to be called the iPhone 6? Like, how's that work? Um, the 6 Plus. Right. Um, but any, but this name, the naming thing is not all that interesting. But it, what is Apple going to come out and say when they say, here's the 4.7-inch screen, you know, here's all the new, the new processor, blah, 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 new camera. And then here's the 5.5-inch screen. And here's why you would maybe prefer this device over the 4.7 inch device which we just unveiled like that piece the the reason why you would want that 5.5 inch screen instead you can't that's figure what out i'm so curious it. yeah they have to they have to find a, a reason to like justify its existence and yeah it's really difficult to find something like that and also the thing is you when you get to that screen size you've gone from having a one, a phone that supports one-handed operation to a phone you have to use two hands with absolutely which I, 
I don't get it. I don't think there's enough people that want this. Yeah, I. But that that that's what I'm so curious about is that, you know, even even if Apple is maybe we'll say evolving and kind of you know, changing some of their historical tendencies, I, I just I just don't see them coming out with a device where. It's literally like, oh, and you know, some people said they wanted like this enormous screen, so we just came out with it. I just, there's got to be something more concrete. Although, you know what? I, I, in some ways, I'm actually hoping it's not that because if the 5.5 inch screen has some super awesome feature that the 4.7 inch screen doesn't, that that'd be that'd be a huge bummer. I don't really know what that could possibly be, but. That that would legitimately bum me out. It's kind of like the, I mean, to a much lesser extent, it's kind of like the five C, where I actually kind of wanted an iPhone like in a different color. I during the private beta period when the iPhone five S and the five C came out, I expressed my yeah my strong desire that I really really wanted a green iPhone without having to put a case on it, and I would have loved if they came out with the five S and they said, hey, here's all these colors you can buy. Like that would have been phenomenal. Um. I, this is kind of the same thing where, like, I just would be, I'd, yeah, I'd be super bummed if if they came out with a 5.5 inch screen and it's like, oh, and it's got like, I don't know, wireless charging or I don't know again, something. And, uh, wow, that's that was creepy or that was scary. So again, the only two features that I can possibly think of that would justify it or that would give it an edge up over a different phone is that it would have like all day battery life or it would have wireless charging. Well, but so the, the all-day battery life thing I could live with and makes makes sense just physically. You have a bigger phone, bigger battery, longer battery life. Mm-hmm. But if, if they hold out something like wireless charging, a feature that could very, very easily work with, I mean, even the 4-inch screen that we have today, they could very, I don't know, easily, but they could put wireless charging in that device and make it work. It, they could certainly do it with a 4.7-inch screen, but if they artificially hold it back, and put it in a 5.5 inch screen phone, that would be, I'd be bummed. Very, very bummed. I don't see them doing that though. Like, I guess what I've shared, you know, we've talked a lot. We've probably talked about more about this than we have any other topic offline before the show. But I still just, I still don't believe it's happening. Like, I still just, I just cannot picture Apple getting on stage and saying, here's a five and a half inch iPhone. I just, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't think it makes sense either, but it it just worries me about how much it seems to be just like a foregone conclusion because that makes it really seem like it's real. And and even if Apple finds a way to market it and like, like let's say they say it's, it's a phone sized for life or, or some, some bullshit marketing thing. Like, what does that say about the Apple that you've come to trust over the past 10 years? Because this Apple is the one that brought you the iPad, or sorry, it brought you the iPod, it brought you the iPhone, the iPad, Intel Max, all these things that were dramatically different and dramatically better than everything else. And they were popular and they pioneered new categories because they said no to so many ideas that aren't worth pursuing. And if they, because they're worried about competition from Google and Samsung and other hardware manufacturers, if they start saying yes to everything just for short-term profitability to address every corner of the market, 
that makes me really worried about Apple being the company that's going to deliver innovative products in the future and deliver the same polished user experience that you've come to rely on if we pretend iOS 7 didn't happen. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, okay. So I, I, the, only, the only way that I would actually be like upset by the fact that this 5.5 inch screen exists would be a if it does have some killer feature that the 4.7 inch screen phone doesn't i think that would be dumb and two or or two if if it ends up causing a lot of problems for developers and it ultimately ends up harming the quality of apps that would also be i think a really really terrible thing to be honest i'd just be mad that it exists no, no. See, I, I, I'm not that irrational about it. Well, like, no, if, but if, you... if, it, if it ends up being such that the 4.7 inch screen and the 5.5 inch screen are basically just the same phone, and maybe the 5.5 inch screen has better battery life just by being a bigger phone, like I'd be cool with that. And if Apple somehow manages to make resolution independence a super easy thing for developers to get on board with, and you know, maybe there's a couple month delay where apps are getting updated, but after three or four months, it's kind of just no big deal. Like if, if both of those things happen, fine, like whatever. People have your five and a half inch screen phones. I don't really care. But you don't think that says anything different about Apple. And you don't think that, I think that type of phone would say a lot about their future direction and that would make me concerned. I don't think I'm being irrational about it. I just think that it's a type of product that's, trying to have it both ways i don't think and i hate the word but i don't think apple should ever come out with a phablet device i think it it's it's a very worrying thing yeah well i i'm, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here i mean i, I largely agree with you but I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here i think at the opposite end of the spectrum it was absolutely ridiculous how long apple held on to the 3.5 inch screen absolutely ridiculous like the fact that it took until the iphone 5 to update to four inches was dumb it was completely dumb um so in some ways i'm i'm kind of glad to see them go the opposite direction where they are being a lot more responsive to newer technology that's being made available that makes innovations to their devices possible well give me an and example because they still haven't adopted nfc they still haven't adopted wireless charging there are a lot of things like with the exception of Touch ID, what is Apple doing that is that cutting edge? I, I well, I mean, I'm being a bit of a homer here, but I, I still think iOS is just like I. So on on this trip I went on last week, I used is my annual usage of the Nexus Seven, where I you know use it offline and kind of throw it around a little bit more than I would be willing my iPad. Like this is just a total personal preference. Like I, I think Android is terrible. I think I just think I think it's awful. Like just the the way it looks, the way it performs, particularly with scrolling, I think it's it's just it's garbage. I think, and so I I personally think iOS seven is still leaps and bounds over anything else that's out there, and is still very technologically impressive. I mean, say what you will about iOS seven, it still has a lot of its faults, which I think actually iOS eight is going to largely fix. Um, yeah, I, I still think that the software is a key thing with Apple, and, that, and regardless of screen size, that's not going to change. Um, but again, my, my original point was that I, I am to an extent glad to see that um, you know Apple's being being more responsive and being more open. Now, I think you use the phrase that, that it's, no it's, it's 
it's a fine line. And That's I, a different I, subject entirely, though. The leaps and bounds of improvements that they're making on the software side of things in terms of being more open is an incredibly good thing, and it's a very promising thing. Making hardware that's not necessary to manufacture just to appease everybody is not. Well, I, 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 didn't, I really didn't mean to use open in the kind of like, oh, open software thing. Well, but... no, but I, I don't think like open, not open as in Google. I mean open as in useful. When they've increased, like, like the whole 1Password thing, that's the biggest, like I never thought that would ever happen with Apple. Like that, that's the best news that could have come out this entire year. That is the kind of openness that I would expect from Apple, and I think it's something that I would not have expected from a Steve Jobs-controlled Apple. But again, making hardware that shouldn't be made or making things just to appease everybody is different. The level of increased flexibility, let's say flexibility instead of openness, on the software side is great. But again, that doesn't justify having three different iPads. Having an iPad the size of a MacBook Air is not helping anybody. It's just trying to address every type of product category. And I know we're putting, what's the phrase? Putting the, the cart before the horse because it hasn't actually come out yet. But it seems like the rumors are too too strong to deny. Well, and I think actually this this segues into the other big thing that that's I think basically now been confirmed and that's that on September 9th, we are going to see Apple's wearable device, presumably some type of watch thing. And, you know, I think that very similar to the five and a half inch iPhone, I'm just incredibly curious what Apple's going to come out and say, you know, why, why do you need this device? Why does this device exist? Um, as I've, I've been thinking more about this, like, you know, for me, with my Pebble, I think getting text messages and phone call alerts and other sort of pop-up notifications on my wrist, I personally find that very, very useful. But I've talked to a lot of people about it, and I've, people have noticed my Pebble for whatever reason more and more often. And I get the sense that people like people aren't super excited about that. And I know you're you're not. Like that's that's not really. Uh, that's not really something that you have a strong desire for. Um, so I'm really curious, like, is is the iWatch or whatever this thing's going to be called, like, to your point a minute ago, is this is this just going to exist for the sake of existing? Or is it really going to have some type of hook? Like, Absolutely, well, I, absolutely I, not. I'll tell you what, like... Well, I would be really impressed. Like, I I don't think it's going to happen, but I would I would be legitimately really impressed if like Apple comes out on the ninth and creates this really great narrative around why the five and a half inch screen iPhone exists, why you should want it, what it's good for, what it's better for than all the other models, and then on top of that, here's the iWatch or whatever. Here's what it does. Here's why you need it. Here's how it connects to everything else. Like, if if they're able to put all that together. You know, hats off to them. I just don't. I just don't see it. So here's the deal: if Apple comes out with a with a wearable device, and they can't make if if it doesn't do anything new, or novel, or if you can't give somebody a pitch on why it's good or useful or why they should spend their four hundred dollars that's going to cost on it within fifteen seconds, like Apple. 
the Apple we knew, they're just not, it's just not the Apple we knew anymore. Because if they're going to rush, because wearables have been kind of on the radar for the past three years, right? Would you say, like, when did the original Pebble come out? A solid two years ago, right? Yeah, the, the Kickstarter campaign was, yeah, at least two years ago. And when did uh, Fitbits start coming out? That's been at least three, right? Yeah, it's been a little bit longer, yeah. So I think, and there, of course, had been rumors about these devices far before. So you have to think that Apple has been working on this for at least five years, or has at least been kicking around the idea of what a wearable computing product would look like, right? Right. So if Apple comes out with something that looks like a slightly better, like, Galaxy Gear, I think that's, like, incredibly distressing if they feel that there was enough pressure to just put it out there for the sake of having to put something out there. Like, I, I, that would be way worse than a five and a half inch phone. Yeah, the, the, I don't, I'm, I'm, in some ways I feel hypocritical because I actually, I actually do really think that a device that basically was exactly like the Pebble that I have, but which looked a lot nicer and maybe has better battery life, I would, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. But again, the, but I, the but I know that I'm in the minority. is extremely small, is it not? It, it it is. I like I said. I I know I'm in the minority. Like I I totally get that. And you know, I mean, maybe that highlights why being as harsh as I am about the five and a half inch screen phone maybe doesn't make as much sense because for some people out there, maybe maybe having five a five and a half inch screen, you know, is legitimately better for them. Maybe maybe because they have enormous hands or I don't know. <laughs> Um, so I, I, all right, hold on, call right. Fly over marker. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, what, what makes sense to somebody doesn't make sense to somebody else, and vice versa. So, so, but again, the, the, like, we have to go for wearables. The, the whatever Apple introduces has to be on par with what the iPhone was relative to phones. What I really, really want to believe is that the Galaxy Gear is the palm trio of 2006. I want to think that all of these ideas that the Galaxy Gear tries to do are valid things that people want to do, but that could be done in such a better way. And that could be a cohesive single product that everybody would love. So, so you're, you're going to have to forgive me for my kind of ignorance to Apple history, but prior to the iPod, did Apple really have a long-standing history of every time they came out with a product, like every single product they came out with, was just a complete revolutionary, you know, leaps and bounds over whatever else already existed in whatever space they were entering? I think since Steve Jobs came back, because you have to. So Apple had the the Macintosh in 1984, and they had a whole lot of other computers since then. And then Steve Jobs left the company. And then Apple went through kind of a dark period where all they did was just make more and more computers. Ooh, that, thank you for bringing this up. So Apple really suffered outside of Steve Jobs because it just started trying to make everything to appeal to every category. Their product line grew, and it was really difficult to tell the differences between different models. There were just so many different SKUs, and nobody understood it. The software just lagged, and nobody wanted to buy them to the point where people were saying, well, you know what, you should just start... Uh, licensing out your software and just and do this whole thing. So, ever since Steve Jobs came back, there was the iMac, there was the iPod, there was the iPhone, there was the iPad. There were 
very polished products that had a clear reason for buying it and a clear reason of why it was better than what was out there. It didn't have to be new. Like the digital music players existed before the iPod. Computers existed before the iMac. It was just that it was done better and there was a reason to spend money on it. So again, I just think it had... If Apple's going to come out with something and they're ready to say, because like Apple doesn't have the luxury of, of calling whatever they come out with a hobby. They can't like pull an Apple TV on this. They can't say, well, it's something we're tinkering, uh, tinkering around with and we've, we're, we're just so excited to show it to you guys. And it's not fully baked, but we just wanted to show it to you. That's not going to fly anymore. It has to be a product that deserves to exist. So, the, you know, the part of this recode story that came out about the wearable stuff, which actually makes me even kind of more worried about the device is the the two things it cited as being kind of headlining features were integration into HealthKit and HomeKit and, and integration into HomeKit both of which the second of me, which what it what is that like well and you know we I've been referring to the private beta period a lot this show but you know when we when we were doing these over the last couple of years offline we talked quite a bit about wearables and I think the reason for that was I had like a Nike fuel band for a while. Then I had like a Fitbit for a while. And I know for me personally, I find all of that fitness tracking stuff to be really, really uncompelling. Like I just, I just don't think it's interesting at all. And I, I personally don't get any good use out of it. So hmm. if that, if that's a headlining feature, like that, that bums me out. Cause I, I just like, if if it like has like a heart rate monitor or something like I I don't care like whatever, um and then the the home kit stuff like I just you don't have a home. Well, I don't have a home, and like if I have to sit there and like buy a bunch of like Wi-Fi enabled light bulbs or something, I'm just like I'm not I'm not or like having a Bluetooth lock on my front door like I'm just I'm not I'm not interested in having to go out and buying like four hundred dollars of like accessories to put in my studio apartment like it's ugh, like whatever uh but again like for me literally just having a better pebble it, it makes total sense to me and i would buy it so i'm, I'm probably going to buy the iWatch because presumably it's going to be at least as good as a pebble i mean I, we hope so um and if it is like for me that's enough but i completely see your point of view where I think for an overwhelming majority of people, that's not enough. And I, I do agree that if, if if all this device is is a color screen pebble with health and home automation stuff, that's that's not good. Even if it is as simplistic as that, the only thing that makes me more or that somewhat kind of uh, alleviates any worries for me is that it would since it's made by Apple, it would have such low-level integration with the operating system, and it would do a lot of things that the Pebble just doesn't have the permissions to do that would probably eliminate some of the frustration people have with using a Pebble. Because yeah. the software's not perfect. It's gotten better in the second-generation release, but it's still not perfect and not terribly comprehensive, correct? It's it, it it actually you know one of the things that when people ask me about the Pebble like how do I like it the you the the usual story I say is well when I first bought it a year ago I hated it because it it, I mean, it it literally just didn't work like it just it was completely broken um, and in, particularly in the last like four months the software has come I mean just it, I mean, the software is where it should have been a year ago basically 
uh, but it, it's it's absolutely fantastic now, and it, it's 100% reliable. Like it's great, um, but you know, I it's still it still the the, the interface is ugly. Um, it's it, it's a black and white eing screen, you know. Like it's just it's not it's not a modern looking device. Um, and that you know, the speaking of like the the design or the look of it, that that's a whole other topic that we haven't even talked about. Which you know, let's get our Gruber mention out of the way here. Um, you know, Gru- Gruber's brought this up a lot. Is how do you make a wearable, you know, specifically a watch? I mean, how do you make that unisex? I I just there's there's so many things about this device that I just it just I don't know. I just don't see I don't see how Apple can make an iPhone like product. It's just I just don't you know, maybe maybe if I did know I would be working at Apple and be making a lot of money, but I just I just don't see it. And these were things that people said before the iPhone came out. So they are, they are. And that's, you know, because I think that. so here's again, like it, I think this is either going to, it's either going to be a complete failure or it's going to be like the iPhone in the sense that, again, we knew the concepts of what we wanted in this kind of device. We just really weren't sure what it was and how it all worked together. Yeah. And I, cause again, even like up to the day when you like you, there were tons of rumors about the iPhone but you didn't expect what was coming. You didn't really, you didn't have an idea of how it could integrate and how great it could be. I think so. I, I think that I think that part's true. But I think what makes the original iPhone maybe a little bit different. And I know I know I've brought this up before um, to you, and I, I know that you I think disagree with it a little bit. But at least for me, and for pretty much every single person I knew in two thousand five, two thousand six, everybody absolutely hated their phone. Like their if you would if you would ask somebody what their least favorite like personal item was i guarantee you like at least in the circle of people i knew 90 plus percent of those people would say it was their cell phone they're just a piece of crap i don't think so but okay but i, I know you were very happy with your palm whatever or blackberry whatever you you liked your sliver i i didn't though it, i mean it it was fine it was fine. Like it, it, I didn't hate it. I guess so. In that sense, maybe I felt a little bit more positive about my phone than some people did. But I certainly didn't love it. I certainly didn't view it as like I view my iPhone now, where I view it as completely indispensable. And my really like not only is it indispensable, it's actually the device that if I have a computer next to me and an iPhone next to me, frequently I'll just use the iPhone because it's actually better. Um, so in, in that sense, I think it's a little bit different because the iPhone was coming into a market where there was just so much untapped potential. Um, I just, I don't know in the case of like the two things we've talked about, like bigger screen devices, whether that be on the iPhone or the iPad or a wearable device. I, I'm not, I'm just not sure that there's that big of an opportunity. We shall see. It, it, you know what though? Like, part of me thinks that it's crazy to expect Apple to every time they enter a new product category to make as big of a splash as they did with the original iPhone. Like, it, to some extent, that seems like just a completely unreasonable standard. So, again, and I'm I'm going to clarify what I mean. I'm using the iPhone as an example in the sense that it did things in a way that people couldn't really conceive of. 
because they didn't know what a good product was. They saw a lot of half-assed products or a lot of products that came before the technology could support them. That's what I think the comparison to the iPhone is meant to suggest. Not in the sense that it's going to be as profitable or as popular or any of those things, but that as consumers right now, based on what we've seen so far, we've seen a lot of lackluster implementations of some fairly cool ideas. And somebody with the design and engineering experience of Apple could do something more interesting. You know, I, oh man, I, I think for as, as kind of as maybe negative as we've been, I also maybe close on a positive note by saying that I've, I haven't been this excited for an Apple event in quite a while. I'm so curious what they're well, going to say. And here's say. the thing. Do you think, um, what's that guy's name? Or is it Eddie Q? Who's the, who's the guy, who's the, um, like the larger 40 uh, year old guy? You think you're, uh, you're thinking of uh, Phil Schiller. No, no. Well, he was he was at some conference and he said it was the most exciting product pipeline they've had in twenty five years. Oh, I think that was Q. Yeah. So do you th- like do you think if he honestly believes that? It seems like it's. I, that's what makes me think that they could pull it off. I yeah I you know what like for as skeptical as I sound now I I would love if somebody listened to I I would love if we're doing a show exactly a month from now and somebody were listening to that and we're both just gushing about how great the new iPhone is and about how awesome the wearable is. And you know what? Like, I actually, I wouldn't be super surprised by that. I think it's, I think it's still a, a total possibility that Apple comes out and for both the larger screen iPhone and for the wearable, they make this awesome case about why both should exist and why both are way better and how they integrate with each other. They, I think it's totally possible. I just, I just, I just don't, I just don't see it yet. Okay. Things you get clear I mean? like, as the as the fog rolls away <laughs> in September. Right. The the uh, the Indian summer, as you would say. <laughs> Is that ping pong? Uh, I it, it might be a little oh, bit, God. but that's that's what everybody says. <laughs> okay. Which I think make which I think makes it okay, right? <laughs> Probably not. We're gonna cut well, that I mean, we'll we'll we'll, we'll call this out. <laughs> Um. All right. Well, wow. So it's a solid hour of just Uber and Apple, which I think you know for this show is a pretty fair representation. We're not done yet, though. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> Definitely not. All right. Um. We'll talk Steve Ballmer. Do you want to talk Dropbox? I, I mean, do you have you have more to add about Ballmer than the last time we spoke? Uh. Well, he now has purchased the Clippers. And, well, he, 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 and did, he, had, he did our last show. Well, he, he had a press event. <laughs> well, you, and, yes. he, and he ran around and was super excited. So if people, so if this is on the Bleacher Report. If people haven't seen this video, I actually didn't see it until you shared it with me. But if, if you haven't seen this video, you just, you have to, you have to watch this. this he, is he is just, the happiest man who just spent $2 billion on something. I, I love, and I, the, you know, the Bleacher Report's headline here, you know, Steve Ballmer absolutely crushed his entrance at the Clippers Fan Festival. I love that. It's so true. He crushed it. He is so happy. And it's just, it's awesome. He's going to be a great sports <laughs> owner. Uh, sorry, I, I just watched it again. Oh. <laughs> just the unbridled enthusiasm is just, oh, it's, it's, it's great. It's the best. He's the best thing that could have happened to the Clippers. He absolutely again, is. like somebody evil, like like Larry Ellison or somebody could have, could have bought him, or like 
some yeah la should should build a shrine to him yeah i i i, I honestly i think he'll i think i he has a great chance of going down as one of the best sports owners in in the big four sports here in the u.s history yeah. is mark cuban well received or is he he, he is no he he totally is like he I, people you know people get upset at times with his antics but at the end of the day if you were to ask anybody like what they really thought about how he like thought of him as an owner he, he would almost get universal praise did he come into owning the mavericks in kind of like a negative situation as well or no N- no i don't think so okay all right. You know what though? I think I think the reaction to Balmer. I mean, even putting aside the Donald Sterling stuff, I I think the reaction to Balmer would still be positive, because he actually, you know, he went through the whole vetting process when he was trying to get a team up in Seattle, and even back then, a couple years ago, when that was first going on, he was universally loved by the ownership group. So, you know, regardless of the whole Donald Sterling thing, I think any any team would be lucky to have him as an owner. I would love if he bought the Lakers. I mean, shoot, that would have been awesome. I think there might be like an antitrust case if that happened. <laughs> so he's got he's more he's got more experience there too. Right. I mean, he he has everything. I mean, we talked about this. Like he has everything you want in an owner. He's got more money than he could possibly ever spend. He anything he gets involved with, he gives just a hundred and ten percent. Like he's he's exactly what you want in a sports owner. He seems like he'd be super fun to just hang out with. He does. Oh man! Right. And as a Lakers fan, and you know, by you know, by law, then has to hate the Clippers. I'm, you know, simultaneously happy and bummed out. Particularly given how dysfunctional the Lakers ownership group has been since the passing of Doctor Bus. But anyway, I will not. I will not digress into that in this show. Yeah. All right. Then Dropbox. Yes. Yes, this is. I mean, this is mostly. This is mostly you. Uh, so this morning, I, I woke up to the most wonderful email. I, I texted this to you too. I think pretty early. Uh, that was right after I got it. Oh, okay. So at seven fifty-three this morning, I got a, a <laughs> lovely email that says, uh-huh. uh, uh, "Dear you, uh, we're excited to let you know that your Dropbox Pro account just got even better. We are getting. Uh, we are giving you ten times the space for the same price. You'll have." Uh, one terabyte of space for your photos, videos, docs, and everything else. Uh, but the best part, I think, is uh, they had a lot of stuff that was exclusive to Dropbox for Business, which means um, share links that have passwords, uh, expiration dates on shared links, and view only for shared folders. Um, and now you can remote wipe computers uh, that have Dropbox installed on them. So there's a ton of upgrades to a subscription that now costs you exactly what it did before. And I, uh, this isn't the most interesting part. Like, I'm a very, very excited as a Dropbox Pro subscriber, but this is probably a direct reaction to increased competition from Box, from Google Drive, and I think most importantly, uh, Apple's new kind of um, more broad iCloud plans. Like, the whole thing that they're building into Yosemite, it's still called iCloud, but it's much similar to what Dropbox is, right? Right. Yeah. So do you think this is coming out of fear or is this something that you think where Dropbox knows they have a solid product and that people love it and they're just giving them more before they have a chance to consider anything else? I think I think it's the latter. I, I don't 
I don't really, I don't, I don't view Dropbox as being a company that operates in fear of competition. I think, I think they're a company which recognizes they're the best at what they do, but they're not content with that, that they always, they always want to be a little bit better. Exactly. I mean, again, Dropbox, like, when did you start using it? (sighs) I mean, I, hmm. I want to say, I want to say like college have they been around that long they've been around since i think late 2007 is when they went into uh like that private beta thing yeah because i know i know i used something else when we first started college some microsoft thing which you had to like be on the same network to sync i mean it was terrible but Mm -hmm. i think i eventually did like in junior senior year of college switch over to dropbox so we'll say like five years give or take so it's an extremely good and polished product that in a, uh, what was that thing that Steve Jobs famously said about it? It's a, uh, a feature, not a um, like platform not... or whatever. Exactly. And I think that everybody's, like all, all the recent competitors to it prove that it's much more than just a feature. It's an incredibly, co- and also the thing with Dropbox is that so many applications tie into it that makes it impossible to leave. Like even if I wanted to, I can't. Like Ever Evernote, Cloud App, everything sinks into it. And again, I don't mind because it works so reliably and seamlessly. And it's it's there when I need it and it's dead simple to use. It's and here's the thing, like Dropbox has done extremely well with avoiding like feature bloat. It's as simple and fast and easy to use, even as more features get added. It hasn't become like most products that are five years old end up being crappy after a while. Is that that's usually no, the case. Totally true. Like totally iTunes, true. iPhoto, just everything ends up getting so much crap into it that it's unusable. Windows. Oh, Windows Nine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I, I I couldn't couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Um, yeah. Oh, password protected shared files. I cannot wait. No, that, that that's awesome. I actually I actually didn't know about in it. I didn't know there was other stuff to go along with the uh, increased storage space. Yeah um that that's that's awesome um yeah I, you know i i use um i use box at work it's it's mandated that we use that at work Ugh, yuck. for for work stuff and i'm i'm not into it i just you know i i you know i'm just not into it and the dropbox to me is such a better product and you know we we use it extensively here on the show and it's it's awesome it's great um so I, I think it's I think it's I think it's a really good sign for a company where they're already the best at what they do and they're just continuing to improve the product. That that seems like one of the most positive things a company could possibly do. Yep. I did not think they would go that generous though with the with the space, but Yeah, I you know, I think I, I, it ultimately doesn't change that I wish that they would have some type of tier in between some type of, you know, $5 a month plan for Yeah, I mean, that's guess... that's what kept me from signing up for a very long time. Yeah. Cuz it's but yeah, once you're all in, why the hell not? So um I mean, not to get, you know, too personal here, but what what do you store on Dropbox which requires you to have more than the what the 5 gigabytes they give you for free? Um honestly, most of the stuff that goes in my home folder like everything but my music and my Lightroom catalog. 
So does that, does that include all of your raw photos? No, again, excluding the Lightroom catalog. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, that, that takes up 600 gigabytes. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, oh, I could fit it now. You could. <laughs> Doing Lightroom editing over the cloud, that would take a year. Ugh. Um, yeah, just everything. And and it's it's been a very nice existence. That way, what, I don't like have... what 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 is all that stuff though? Is that was that music? Is that video? Uh, what, it, what, it's what is documents. That? It's scanned files. It's uh, projects. It's this radio show. It's like Photoshop documents. It's uh, just everything. And kind of whenever I save something off the web for reading, uh, cute dog photos, like the like the the. <laughs> the... Oh, that that's that's what it is. There's the cute dog photos. Yeah, again, like that thing I posted with with a with a. A, a puppy lab right, surfing on a big lab. I, I've I've been just watching that on loop as we've been doing the show. It's so good. Yeah, but just really all good. that kind of stuff. And it's just so nice that like whenever you – like when I need – ever since Log Me In stopped being free and I can't really do remote desktop anymore, although I did buy Splashtop, but I just haven't started using it. But if there's a file I know is on my Mac and I don't feel like getting out the computer, I just pull it up on my iPhone with Dropbox and it's there. And there's no thinking about it. So I so that that's you know in in addition to as you say this radio show, um, in addition to that I primarily use Dropbox for documents. Pretty much every personal Excel and Word document I have is just in my Dropbox folder. But you know I I if I click on my Dropbox thing here, um, I don't know I <laughs> I'm using a whopping three point nine percent of my available five point two gigabytes. And I have every single personal Word document and every single personal Excel document that's currently relevant to me in there. So I don't know, just maybe I'm just not as heavy of a computer user as you. Um, I think that's probably the case just because you, you, yeah, you do everything on a mobile device, whereas I still rely on my computer a ton. I think that's probably the difference. Also, I just, I guess I just don't, yeah, I don't use my, like my Mac mini at home, which, you know, I have a Windows PC, but I mean, literally all that has on it is Windows 8 and Steam and Origin, I guess, like, but that that's all it has on it. So it doesn't really, it doesn't even have Office or anything. So I don't ever use that for personal stuff. Um, you know, my Mac, my Mac mini at home, which is really my only other personal computer, all I use it for is Lightroom and to record the show. So, which I know is, you know, different from you, which where you use, you use your computer for lots of things still. Yep. Man, I'm, I'm going to age terribly. <laughs> or, I mean, I'm going to be one of those, like, you know, those old people that are like, that just can't give up the old stuff. Yeah, you're going to, well, I mean, you know, if it were up to you, I think you'd still be, you know, clawing onto a 17-inch uh, MacBook Pro. Oh, that was the worst idea. You you loved having a seventeen inch laptop though. It was you, it you was did. the worst idea. Yeah, but you loved it. I enjoyed it. It was a fantastic computer, but uh, it, was, it was so well advised. <laughs> you 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 still are the one and only person I've ever met in in actual you know real life that has owned a seventeen inch MacBook Pro. Again, but I'm regretful about it. <laughs> I I enjoy a fifteen inch laptop. If they made a fourteen inch Retina MacBook Air. You're, I would. I would lose it. You're you're regretful, but you simultaneously pine to have it again. No, not at all. It was. <laughs> I it was just too big. I. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I believe you. No, seriously. <laughs> God, that was a big computer. <laughs> and you brought. And to think that you you had it at the time of your life where you were probably more mobile than you'll ever be with a laptop. 
again, that's why it was the worst decision of my life. <laughs> Bringing it from class to class, from class to your dorm, and then to your compartment. Well, so here, here's the deal. It would probably it probably still weigh less than the uh, your E fifteen oh five. By I think by quite a bit with, yeah. with your with your double hot swappable batteries because it lasted like two hours with the battery <clears throat> with the battery that was literally yeah just bulging out the bottom of the laptop. Good oh times. man, yeah, my, you know that that thing is still chugging along. No, it's not. It sure is. Where does it exist now? My dad has it. I just the last time I visited, I was was on it with with the super glued screen <laughs> with the other yeah, super glued screen, yeah. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. That computer is um, seven years old, almost exactly seven, almost no, seven eight. years to the day. Eight. It's two thousand four, oh, yeah, man. Did my math? Or wrong. sorry, two thousand six. Well, it's two thousand six is when I got it. Yeah. So you're right. It's almost almost to the day because I got it roughly a month before we started at UCSB, which would have been the end of September. So about a month before I got it. So yeah, almost almost to the day, eight years. And if you can imagine, up until like six months ago, computers were still yeah, still being sold with Windows XP. <laughs> oh boy! Have you have you tried pricing out uh, a Windows computer recently? No. They no. like I was looking just because I kind of wanted to think pad for like a second. Um, they still charge you fifty dollars extra to downgrade to Windows Vista, <laughs> or sorry, Windows Seven. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, the th the thing that I, I really I like my ThinkPad. Does the X1 Carbon have the little nub? It does, but I never use it. Mm. You're not you're not a fan of the nub, are oh, you? Ah, the nub is great. Oh god, it's an acquired taste. You have to you have to get used to it. I I do know some people who also swear by it, and I I think you're all crazy people. Like I don't I don't think it's it's the be all and end all, but when you're really like getting into a project, a lot of times it's just easier. Oh, that that's just that's just not that's not true. Yes, it is. Oh, that's terrible. All right. <laughs> okay. So, oh. so what else is there? Again, this is gonna be the longest show ever. This is this is I mean this is a huge show. I mean the the thing that I'm worried about bringing up is the, all the Amazon stuff because I almost feel like that's I almost feel like that's a whole other show because I know that you've also been kind of saving a big Amazon thing. Yeah. Well, we can. Uh, well. No, that would have to be a different show. The specific about why Amazon's kind of one of the one of the most concerning predators. Well, but I, but I feel yeah. like I feel like so much is what's happened in the last two weeks with them ties directly into that. So let's you know I, I think a lot of this the, a lot of this news is not very time sensitive. So maybe maybe we should hold off on that until next week because I do actually think we could get a real good conversation out of all that. Sure. The only thing that we can talk about or that I would like to remark upon is the fact that they've probably sold, uh, uh, sold no Amazon Fire phones. I mean, is anybody surprised by that, though? It was so universally panned when it came out in reviews. I mean, why why would it have sold well? So what do you, what do you think about Amazon makes them think that they have to make a phone? Because you know that's not their strength, and you know they could never have the resources to make it a, a viable competitor. Like, why still come out with it? I, well, this this is... Like, this tablets is, I get, but phones I don't. This is getting into a little bit, I think, of what I want to say for next week, but I, not really. Um, I'm starting to see Amazon a lot more as Google. Do you mean where, that in a mean way? Or do you mean that in a negative way? 
kind of like in the sense specifically here in the sense that i think they're in a position now where they're mature enough and they're in a you know comfortable enough economic position where they just they just kind of want to try stuff they just they just they're they're the well i mean as apple currently stands anyway they're the opposite of apple where they don't have to make money no, they they're willing just to kind of try anything and everything. That they they don't say no to a thousand things before they say yes. It, it's the exact opposite. They say yes to all thousand no. things before they say a no. I, I disagree. Like I I think the opposite of Apple is Samsung. They will say yes to anything. I think Google will try a lot of things, but it's like their features, their their web products. I think making hardware is different. I think Amazon just. <sighs> They want to be, I don't, I don't even know what Amazon's doing anymore. The tablet strategy made sense. The Kindle made sense, but this like fire TV and the fire phone in particular, just I'm, I'm lost on. I, I, I see them both as being just experiments. But when, when the American consumer is your like test base, I, like I, Google's will is is it's fine if Google makes a free product that nobody uses. It's fine if Google wastes tons of time on Google Plus. But when you're asking customers to sign two-year contracts with your like beta hardware, like that's the part that's weird. Because the the Fire Phone did not come out at some like revolutionary price point where somebody could say, "Ah, screw it, I spent $200 on this off-contract phone." That's a fair point. Um but I I <laughs> I also don't think enough people bought it to damage the brand, you know? And I, I think my suspicion is that given how smart of a company they seem to be, they probably kind of expected that. Which is, I mean, you know, if for those poor people who did buy it, obviously they learned not great. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just think, I think Amazon's in a position now where they they're just willing, they're willing to try a lot of different stuff which i think when we talk about them next week there's i mean there's been a lot of news the last couple of weeks where it's it's very clear that they're you know they're kind of venturing into new territory um and i i think it, you know i think maybe we'll be somewhat negative next week but i think there's also some positive things to that too but let's you know let's not uh let's not let's not give away next week's show Absolutely. Okay, and so to button this up, should we describe each of the ninety corgis? <laughs> the uh, the corgis in costume. Yeah, we could. I mean, I I don't know how well that plays on the radio. <laughs> oh, the one at the school bus. Oh my god. I like I like the Bud Light Corgi. I think that's I it's don't. It's simple. It's <laughs> just I think it's funny. No, corgis only drink wine. <laughs> You think so? I, I corgis would never drink beer. Uh, I guess yeah, especially I guess a, could... a light American beer. That could be true. Yeah. Anyway, corgis are the best kind of dog. Period. I I, I don't disagree. Anybody who wants to to who thinks otherwise can fight me. Yeah, I I I, I don't disagree. Yeah. All right. Any last minute business? Um, my gosh, I've, I've been so negative this show. Let's I, bring, again, that's why I tried to bring up Balmer. There's some, well, should you want to talk about the Twitter stuff real quick? 
yeah. Although, can wait, I, that, I, that doesn't turn it into a positive thing. Can I can I get a quick rant out? I just want to get this out of the way. A Molly rant? Um, Com- Comcast On Demand. You said you're going to be positive. Okay, you only have positive things to say about this. Let's go. No, 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 no. So, okay, so I, I've, I've been um, saying on the show that I've been catching up with the show Falling Skies, which I you know, highly recommend to everybody. So this show has now been on for four seasons. The, the fourth season, I think, just ended maybe a couple weeks ago. It's, it's a summer show. Um, the first three seasons were available on uh, Amazon Instant Streaming or whatever that thing's called. The, th- the thing that's free with Prime. Prime Instant Video. <laughs> Prime Instant Video. Rolls right off the top. <laughs> um, it, and it was fantastic. You have full 1080p streaming on the PS4. Just awesome. Great. Um, season 4, the most recent season, is understandably not yet available on Amazon. So I, you know, looked into um, Comcast On Demand, which the one positive thing I will say about Comcast On Demand is that it integrates very nicely into the TiVo. Um, nice interface and everything. But the part that is just absolutely god-awful about it is that it has more frequent and longer commercial breaks than regular tv does and it's it's not just that like that alone would be annoying but not awful but literally all it does is it plays the same 15 second uh previews for the same four tnt shows over and over and over sometimes it will play the exact same preview twice within the same commercial break it is it is maddening absolutely maddening like, I'm I'm actually I'm not entirely opposed to like even watching commercials sometimes. Like I think if there's an interesting commercial, I'm I'm somebody who will watch it. But I just the way that Comcast does the commercials on on demand is it 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 just could not be any worse. And it it, it is like legitimately like souring me on watching this four season. Like I'm I'm pretty close to just buying it on like Amazon or iTunes or whatever. Like paying the twenty bucks or whatever and just downloading it. In fact, you know, I actually when we're done with the show, I'm actually going to look and see how much that would cost me because it's it's just it's terrible. I thought it was only that way when using Comcast's like mobile app. I didn't realize it was the same way when you're actually using your cable box to do it. Anyway. Yeah, but is it, it that's the same way in a lot of websites. Like, if unless you have like a top tier website like Hulu, where if you're watching a lot of a certain show, you see the same two ads over and over and over again. And usually, it's not from a very good sponsor, so it's not a very good commercial. Oh, I just oh, I'm just like oh, I'm getting I'm getting mad thinking about it. I just oh, oh, sorry. But I'm I'm now I'm looking at these corgis to make me feel better. The school bus one's pretty good. American American Pride's pretty good too. <laughs> Which number is that? It all the way like eighty nine. Again, do we have show notes yet? We don't, but we should. The the cor the corgi. I mean, we could have. We, I, could just, I could put these show notes in the iTunes summary. Just it do it. Like because again, how? Maybe I will this week. Yeah. Maybe doesn't yeah, maybe have to. That could be week. the only show note. <laughs> but you also have to include the picture of the corgi in the box. Well, you know, I do listen to some podcasts which. Um, 
instead of having a um, kind of consistent logo, they actually have like a different uh, piece of album art for every week, mm-hmm. which I, I think is actually it's kind of a cool idea. I like I personally like our logo, so I'm not. We do, but you could always to... you could always uh, kind of in the corner, just like put a little corgi. Put a little corgi in there, yeah. yeah. Uh, which number oh, the, is it? The, the, oh, the, he's got oh, the, he's got pink sunglasses. The Waldo one's pretty good too. It is just because just because that corgi looks so happy, and the the banana also was pretty good. Uh, Be- oh man, best dog. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, okay. So do you want to do this Twitter thing? Yeah, if you want to do it quickly. Sure. Uh, so does this only apply to the official Twitter clients that right, right now? It does. Yes. Okay. So basically so, Twitter, so tell, tell it, the people, yeah, tell the people what we're talking about. here. So Twitter is kind of expanding their definition or they're trying to expand what you see in your, um, in your Twitter feed, kind of like what Facebook already does, where you see when one of your friends interacts with somebody who's not your friend. So you'll see a link that somebody else shared, but one of your friends happened to have uh, thumbs up. And now Twitter's basically kind of gone on the record and said that your uh, Twitter timeline is no longer just who you have chosen to follow and who they expressly retweet. It also includes uh, favorites, and it might just be random stuff. Which is weird. I don't know. I guess for a broader audience, it might be what they want to make discovery easier. Because I think getting new people on board with how Twitter works is difficult because it's not as obvious. And you really, it takes a while to cultivate a good group of people to follow until you really get some benefit out of it. But I don't know. That's, it just seems a little concerning. It does. And we, I, was this on one of the shows we posted or was it before where we talked a lot about how the Twitter we know today, specifically with third-party apps, those days are limited to put it lightly. Well, I think, I think that is what we said. But to clarify that a little bit, what I think is that we just won't ever see anything else like TweetBot in the sense that Twitter will never give it enough user tokens or whatever they're called to gain any sizable user base. I think TweetBot and certain third-party clients are just too big to shut down so far, but I don't think they'll let another one come through. Right. Because when you're using that, you don't see, you don't see promoted tweets uh, or the, um, those trend things on the side. And apparently now you won't see random crap from people you follow. I should, I should fire. I don't even think I have the official Twitter app installed on my phone. I should put that on there just to see like what's going on. Yeah. I have it on my Android phone. It's, it's kind of a mess. It's not bad, but it's kind of a mess. But I mean like Tweetbot is just, it's just, it's perfect. (sighs) Yeah. There's really nothing about Tweetbot or the way that it works with Twitter that I would change. It's exactly what I want. Yep. That is a whole other topic. I'm amazed at how much I use Twitter. I am shocked at how useful it is. Yeah, and I uninstalled Reader this week because I get all my news from Twitter or TechMeme or whatever I I choose to go to. Like like the days of following hundreds of news feeds is just beyond me. Well, I'll tell you what, my, my normal flow still is I'll read a lot of, uh, I'll read a lot about things on Reader, but nine times out of 10, I found out about 
the the story first on Twitter. So I'll see it on Twitter and I'll go to Reader to find out more. Hmm. You know what I actually get frustrated by sometimes is when I see a story on Twitter, like just a, just a, a quick blurb on something, and there really aren't any good long stories about it yet. You ever had that happen? Where you like you see a headline or you see a little blurb on something and you want to know more about it, but like literally like nobody's posted a like longer form article about it yet. Well, exactly, but that's why Twitter is better in the sense that you get you you just hear as the story develops you, you and you get more context that way, right? Because you're probably following people who are like more closely involved with it. First-hand accounts, as you would say. Yeah, I, I, I'm worried about the future of Twitter, but I'm gonna enjoy, I'm gonna enjoy it while it lasts. Again, we we occupy this kind of tiny, 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 tiny section of people that I don't think they'll ever care about. Yeah, or they won't care to upset or like ruin the experience for them. You know, I actually the, the, another total aside about Twitter. I'm because Twitter has what now? What, what, were, what were their numbers in their most recent financials? It was like 200 million active users? Was it something like that? Something like that. Um, yeah, whenever you see various TV programs or go to websites, you know, the Twitter icon more frequently than not is right next to the Facebook icon for, you know, follow us or whatever. Um, I, I find that surprising just given how much smaller Twitter is compared to Facebook. Because I'm with you where I feel like I I personally really don't know anybody. Well, I, I know, I guess, a couple people, but very few people who legitimately use Twitter kind of in the way that, like, you and I do. Um, whereas, I mean, everybody I know is constantly on Facebook. So it seems kind of weird sometimes that those are those two services are so synonymous with one another. I th- it's weird because from an advertising perspective, I think people like Twitter more in the sense that it's much more public and people are much willing to, uh, more willing to engage brands. Oh, I hate that phrase. But they're much more willing to use like a hashtag to try which can feed into what marketers want. Whereas, again, where you said that you thought that Facebook was a somewhat sketchy company because they keep loosening the definition of what's public and private sharing, they're doing that because when a paid sponsor or like a paid brand page wants you to interact with it, it gets far less of a response on Facebook. Like there have been a lot of studies where something that gets like 100,000 clicks or favorites or likes or whatever on Twitter will get like 500 responses or shares on Facebook. So I think Twitter has a much more active and directly involved user base. Whereas Facebook is a place where people just kind of want to see photos of what happened this weekend and kind of say hi to grandma. Right. So they're, they're different uses. But yeah, I don't think people actually use hashtags or any of that stuff anyway. So it doesn't matter. Like, did you watch the Emmys? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm not. Um, I'm not real big on the award show thing. Really, you don't. Eh, you don't. You're not invested in any TV shows. Like the Oscars, I never care about, but the Emmys, I generally, I, I, I honestly do enjoy. I am, and I'm. I'm very curious about what the results are, but I, 
I, I just I just read about them after, like when there's either the later that evening or in the morning, I just pull up a list of like, oh, here are, here are all the winners. Well, but it's it's, a, it's an interesting program. Like it's it's, it's, it's not though. It is. You when was the last time you watched it? Again, the Oscars are terrible, but the Emmys it includes a lot of familiar faces that you enjoy on television, just having fun. Like it's it's I mean, not isn't some that what the, isn't that what the Oscars are too? No, the Oscars is a bunch of stuck up like stuffy people. TV people aren't that way. No. Wow. Again, people are just having fun, like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, like just in like I don't know. It's hosted by Seth Meyers. It's it's very good. Yeah, I'm just not. not it's probably thing. on on demand. Uh, fucking what? A Com- <laughs> Comcast owns a Comcast owns NBC. <laughs> Um, and if it's three hours without the commercials of, uh, or with regular commercials it's probably like five and a half with on-demand commercials there's got to be a button that says like fine i'll buy your stuff just leave me alone yeah there should be what like what what was what was being advertised like how much the, would it have the same the same four tnt shows over and no not even, the same like three tnt shows oh so it wasn't even a product again. you could buy no 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 it, it was it was it was only it was I, I I literally have like blacked these out, so I don't even remember. It's that new Sean Bean show that's on. It's Who? that you know Sean Bean. He was in like Lord of the Rings and nope. pretty famous actor. <laughs> okay. Um. It, so there, there there was like the new show he's in the the that lawyer show that's on like Basher or something. The the, the lawyer <laughs> show that's on the one with the guy um, from Saved by the Bell. Yeah, that one. <laughs> and then some other show I don't know. Um. It's it, it was it's those like three same shows over and over and over and over again. And it's it's it's. Ugh. I mean, I kind of being so negative. I'm sorry. It's uh, ugh, so negative. All right, this show is running long, so we're gonna wrap it up soon. Give me one okay. bit of positive news, or tell me about anything that you like. That's not uh, space. I, I like I like the fact that Buster Posey hit a two run walk off home run this evening. Dude, he's crushing it the past couple of games. Yeah, I like I like that. That was a good thing. I'm going to the game tomorrow, and I. They've lost every game I've been to this year, so um, hoping that they maybe, can use maybe some... just stay home. Where we're doing decent in the wild card race, this is stay, yes. stay home. Yeah, I like that. I like that you use the collective we when talking about the Giants. I enjoy that about you. Oh man, I I, I got to show you my spiffy uh, manager's jacket. I got the I got the. Ooh, did you get it? The lady for um, I believe was it the anniversary, or something uh, as a gift. She got me uh the nice uh Bruce Bochy jacket. You've been yeah, you've been talking about that forever. It's one of those things where it's kind of costly enough where I I can't sure. just I can't pull the trigger myself. But it was it was a fantastic gift. That's awesome. That yeah. though that's a that's a sweet jacket. Yeah. No more being cold when the seagulls come. <laughs> that's right. Uh, are you you bringing a blanket or are you bringing a jacket? Uh, it's afternoon game tomorrow. Oh, very nice. Yeah, twelve forty five first pitch, and it's actually supposed to be one of those like rare seventy degree days in the city. So nice. Um, it's actually going to be yeah, pretty nice. Tremendous. Um, you ever been to a Giants game where they've had you do the clap to get the seagulls away? It's never run long enough. You you told me about this. There's a special way to get them to go away. There are. Yeah, there oh, there is. Yeah, yeah. They they put a special graphic up on the scoreboard when they want you to do it. They normally only have you do it like between innings, but that 16 inning game I went to, they got so desperate they actually had people doing it like in between pitches. It was it was really bad. Um. Good times. Yeah.